everybody. Happy Wednesday. It is the Fan Drive Time. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Happy February. February 1st today. Blake. Did you have a nice new month's eve last night? Yeah, it was okay. I drank uh, some wine. It's a, it's a stupid thing that I can't get out of my head now. Uh, a friend of mine who used to be in our industry and now works just like a normal, normie day job. Wow. Um, like, I guess someone at their office has a habit of saying happy new week on Mondays. And it's cool. like one of those things that's so inexcusably bad that it's like stuck in my head now and i have to ask you uh how your new month's eve was yeah no that's horrible i was gonna ask you though it being february and the weather getting colder but you know i i saw and we get an email every day about the the things that sportsnet is working on today the the visual components that are coming in today but you get that email i okay i have no idea i can forward it to you but uh on it it said that there's uh, a camera down at Rogers Center today because the Blue Jays are packing up the trucks headed down to Dunedin yes. for spring training. Um, that starts this month. And we know it's not really warm until, like, June, really. But, like, d- does it feel like the end of winter to you? I mean, the the sun is no, still up. It feels like the start of winter. Hmm. Because this is the first week that we've had, like, consistent temperatures below minus five. Yeah, and that's bizarre, though. Like, January was, yes, like, unseasonably. I'm, I'm not answering warm. for 2019 or 2016. <laughs> I'm answering You're just for saying now. the year that we're in, yeah. I, I got to say that I, I do kind of feel like, I know, despite the temperatures, blah, 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 blah. No, it feels, no, the, the sun being visible at this time of day. And, is nice. Yeah, well, it does feel like we're, I don't know, maybe I'm just more of an optimist, Blake. I just feel like we're 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 almost at the end of 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 winter. We're six weeks away from daylight savings. Still, I guess so we'll find out tomorrow. Is, though the the groundhog is going to tell us. Yeah, I don't uh, subscribe to the groundhog. I subscribe to uh, if the Leafs don't make a deadline trade, uh-huh. and that's one week before daylight saving time, uh, then you're in for a shorter winter oh. <laughs> because uh, the Leafs will be out in the end of April. Uh, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. I tripped over it, but no, it's fine. Uh, no, I think I, it feels wintry because it's February 1st on the calendar. It's very, very cold outside. Um, none of the typical, like there are a couple things I signify with the turning of the seasons. Um, one is, so I don't have a video game console anymore. Mm-hmm. When I was still a video game guy, the release of the new baseball game, Mm. for whatever console Jazz I had at the Chisholm time. Chisholm is the cover boy yeah, this year. MLB The Show 23. Pink, cool looking, cool looking cover. Shout out, like, Jazz Chisholm, fun, exciting player, plays for an irrelevant franchise, and he's like, not that good. I saw someone tweet <laughs> that it's the first ever uh, cover that succeeded in making both old heads mad and analytics people mad like everyone's just upset about it (laughs) except the vibes only people i guess bahamians are going nuts it's a cool looking cover yeah um (laughs) anyway so that's one um march madness obviously is kind of like hey this is the last weekend where you'll be like hibernating inside with doing nothing but watching Mm -hmm. tv um and then, yeah, spring training, but we're still two weeks away from pitchers and catchers still. A mm-hmm. um, little confused as to why the trucks need to leave today to well, make it in time. I, I've done that drive in one day before. You can, 
and not with twenty thousand baseballs, eleven hundred bats, uh, three hundred twenty batting practice tops, two hundred batting helmets, etc. But I doubt it's going to take two weeks for the truck to arrive. But there's the, there's players already down there. Those are the real numbers, by the way. Uh, at really? Least, at least on the Red Sox truck. Uh, so Gabriel, Gabriel Starr, um, who is a new Red Sox reporter for the Boston Herald, uh, had the numbers. Uh, 20,400 baseballs, 1,100 bats, 200 batting gloves, 200 batting helmets, 320 batting practice tops, 160 white game jerseys, 300 pairs of pants, 400 t-shirts, 400 pairs of socks, 20 cases of bubble gum, and 60 cases of sunflower seeds. Some of that stuff can be purchased on site. Like, I don't, do we really need to, like, transfer the the cases of bubble gum? Can you probably get it chipped? I don't. All right. That's, that's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. And uh, have a look out on the highway if, if you see a, a big Blue Jays van. It's mm-hmm. headed down to Dunedin. All right. Um, let's Where do they with, play? Fort Myers? What? Uh, the, Boston? Yeah they're, yeah, they're in Fort Myers. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's start with Leafs Bruins because it's a rather large affair tonight. And it's the last game the Leafs will play for more than a week. And it's today's Wednesday? top story oh yeah sure <laughs> don't don't forget your today's top story ben. it's today's top story leaf bruins tonight Scotiabank arena um third of four meetings between these two teams they split the first two of course uh most recently was beginning of the end for matt murray as he allowed a goal with like a minute 20 to go and uh, the bruins won that meeting by a single game since then the bruins have Falling on hard times, as hard as it gets for this franchise. Losers of three straight. And I was doing some some looking ahead um, as to the chances of the Toronto Maple Leafs surpassing the Boston Bruins for that top seed in the Atlantic Division. Can which, I guess? Which would right now be a first-round matchup against the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are off to a rough start, I suppose. They still have Sidney Crosby, so I don't know. Um, no, I, I was just looking ahead to the strength of schedule. And the Bruins have the 10th toughest strength of schedule remaining. Maple Leafs 19th. And if you win tonight in regulation, it's single digits between these two teams. So I guess there's hope, Blake. And you have one more meeting. So you could cut it to seven. Yeah. And then you'd own the tiebreaker. I don't think it's going to happen. My guess would be that the actual numbers put it somewhere around like a two to two and a half percent chance the Leafs could catch them. Mm -hmm. I feel like the actual percent chance is like zero 0.25%, 0.25%, not 2.5%. I, I, I will like, say, though, that the Bruins are playing at such a high level that it, and they're real good, but like even the best team in the NHL to sustain that over 82 games, and we're seeing they it. They don't with, need to. There's only 32 games left. They've done right. two thirds of the work already. Mm-hmm. So, like, you, the, like the Leafs to catch up 11 points over, and I'm going to round to a third of the season because it's, it's not exact, but basically the Leafs would have to play at a pace the last third of the season that is extrapolated over 82 22 points better than the Bruins to catch them yeah like that's that's not it things can happen in small samples and we've got a little bit more than a third of the season left but that's pretty ridiculous that even if even if Boston plays like like let's say you don't believe Boston's an 81 point team you think they're a 70 point true talent team at this point they're the Leafs well the Leafs would have to play like double Boston Mm-hmm. the rest of the way to make up that ground because there's less schedule left. Like, it's just, it's not really, you don't regress to the opposite side of average the rest of the way. You regress to what your true talent level is. So Boston's probably going to slow down and play like a 70, like play like the a Leafs quality the rest of the way, not a Montreal or Columbus quality. Well, that's it. So like I, I view these two teams as pretty 
pretty close. Like, yeah, from, that's uh, why I'm using that as the <laughs> as the marker. And the Leafs have just been extremely consistent year over year. 115 point team season ago, they had like a 70 percent points percentage, and just I think it's like 68 percent. 68.6, so round it up, and they're at, if, if we're rounding the last three years, we're 69, 70, and 69. How different, so there, there is no first-round opponent that you would feel super comfortable for the Toronto Maple Leafs, considering they lost to the Montreal Canadiens, who finished like 25 points below them, uh, and they had a 3-1 series advantage, but... Tampa Bay Lightning, real, real good. And yeah, there, there are opponents you would like less. Yeah. But like I said, so so say the unthinkable happens and you usurp the Boston Bruins as the number one seed, not just in the Atlantic, in the Eastern Conference. And right now that would result in you playing a Pittsburgh Penguins team again that as the, the, the legend of Sidney Crosby, Genny Malkin still skating around the ice. Uh, they haven't won. Um, well, they've won one postseason series since they won the Cup in 2017. So this has not been a dominant postseason. They've been to Game Sevens and lost in deciding games. Hey, Leafs know a thing or two about that anymore. Yeah, <laughs> they don't have Matt. No, and, and it, like it's not a lock that it's the Penguins. Like probabilistically, it's uh, Penguins, Capitals, or Sabers. Like mm-hmm. those three teams right now are the likeliest to be jockeying for those final two spots. Now, of course, the Panthers could get in the mix. The Islanders are operating as if they want to get in the mix. Um, that would be a funny one if, like, the next, hey, how could it get worse for the Leafs in the first round and lose team knocks them out? Dude, that would be, yeah, that would be, <laughs> that'd be quite a thing. That would actually be par for the course if the Toronto Maple Leafs do not lose another game the rest of the way and the Bruins slip up and the Leafs end up in the number one seed and they get Bo Horvat and the Islanders in the first round and then get their clocks cleaned. Yeah. That'd be quite something. That'd be funny. Anyways. Uh, it would not be funny because we'd probably be out of jobs because the entire city of Toronto would just be like, no more sports. <laughs> no more sports here. The Raptors are bad accidentally. Uh, the Leafs are out in the first round seven years in a row in increasingly painful way. Uh, no more until the Jays, I guess, win the World Series this year. Um, With Chad Green closing out the final game. That's right. Uh, so this is a great matchup. Uh, it's your last Toronto Maple Leafs game for over a week. Uh, it's two teams at the top of their division. And there's also the Brad Marchand of it all. As uh, <laughs> maybe related. Like, so I'm, I'm going to get into Brad Marchand this way. Uh, throwing this report at you from yesterday. According to Sports Business Journal, NHL US TV national viewership down 22% this season. NHL regular season games to date have averaged 373,000 viewers on ESPN and TNT. A second season of the league's seven-year pact with Disney and Turner as the NHL averaged almost a half million viewers at this point last year. 22% is something. I would say if we have more Brad Marchands or at least people that acted, like maybe not the licking and like all the, the other shenanigans that Brad Marchand gets into, but like the fact that he's engaging people on Twitter, the fact that he's like holding court in his pregame media availability today in the hockey mecca that is Toronto. I, I know he's a, a polarizing character, I suppose. He's just a hated character outside of Boston. But it, the NHL would be well served to encourage, again, some of the Brad Marchand behaviors. I think so. Certainly some of the I have a personality and I'm willing to engage with fans and media side of it. Um, The NHL has historically done a baseballish job and baseball is mercifully starting to get better at this of like 
personality is demonized and penalized. Like, like look at the way PK Subban was treated over the years. Yeah. Like by all accounts, actually a wonderful person who did everything to give back and actually ran into him at law laws yesterday oh really yeah um so he's responsible for inflation he was actually going through and, and increasing <laughs> was that at the maple leaf no. gardens one uh, yeah i live uh, right around the corner from there um so i was getting some groceries and pk suban's there like <laughs> stick handling for some commercial I'm like cool um but no like like he was not treated the way that like he should have been a very marketable star an elite entertaining style of player with a big personality who is willing to do all the the media and face of the game stuff um brad marchand as he likes to remind people on twitter all the time isn't used like that because he's too attractive Mm. um as he as he likes to point out but no you're dealing with a lot of problems here right and i think that not having those personalities that cut through is a part of it i i think that more than even the personalities standing out it speaks to the homogeneity of hockey, and and that means culturally, that means the backgrounds of the players coming up, that means the way it's hammered in. Like I remember covering OHL hockey, and at like fifteen or sixteen, these kids know how to give the cliche answer mm-hmm. and not actually be interesting and insightful about the game and stuff like that. Um, there's all of that stuff. There's, I mean. Part of it is probably uh, like self-fulfilling cycle thing where the the cap being as stagnant as it has has limited big picture roster changes so that you've been left to deal mostly with, hey, every team's bottom six is going to be different every year. And I don't know how much that has any effect, but I do think that the, the sum of all of these things is that it's just like they haven't been able to keep up with and this is a problem that goes back a fairly long time with the highlightification or, or social mediafication uh, of sports and then the sports that haven't done that like a baseball just kind of finally got dragged kicking and screaming into hey it's okay if you're like the personality of your players shines through and and that's what gets people engaged i don't think anyone has a problem with the sport of hockey no i would say that and and the way that it's played this year like in in the modern era is is more entertaining than we've seen like it and it's been increasing in in entertainment value year over year and there are stars i mean who doesn't want to see Connor mcdavid on a daily basis even the the horrible ducks have you know, there are Trevor Zegras's of the world. There's stars littered all over the place, mm-hmm. I would say. And maybe Zegras is a bad example because he's pretty outspoken as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say the difference between this sport and maybe some others. And, and Brad Marchand gets the leeway because he has a cup, because mm-hmm. he's a playoff performer, because he's been on Team Canada. He's established himself as a great player, and he knows that whatever he does outside of the confines of an NHL ice service, it's not going to inhibit him in allowing his team to have a chance to win a Stanley Cup. But, yeah, it's missing. Like, Austin Matthews is out there, and we see him with, with, with Justin Bieber, and that's all well and good. And he's on the cover, or maybe was it the cover of GQ? He, was, he had a photo shoot where he was wearing a ridiculous coat. But, yeah, how much do we know about him? How engaged no. with, like, you know, the world is... is we don't nothing about Austin and Matthews. And look, look around at other sports, and I, I promise I don't mean this as a, like, please like my sport, because, again, it's something I'm passionate about on the hockey side and the baseball side as well, because... These are like fun people playing a fun sport and part of the fan experience should be becoming invested in these players. And, and, you know, there are maybe it's to a detriment at some points. I don't know. But the NFL and NBA have 
at times become a cheer for the player, not for the for the laundry. Yeah. And the NHL doesn't want that. No. They they're more of a laundry sport, which is fine. But I do think there's a middle ground that you could find where, like, look at what has happened over the last couple of days in terms of like the NFL news cycle. Like this is supposed to be the NFL's dead week. And because it's so personality driven and yeah, quarterbacks have an outsized impact that even an Austin Matthews can't have on a hockey team. Cause he plays 22 minutes and he's one of five guys or whatever, but they that's keeps the ability to stay in the news cycle and stay relevant. Even in your doldrum times, the NBA has become an 11 month a year sport in part because the players know how to play the game over the course of the off season with both the player movement stuff, but also mm-hmm. being relevant on social media. Um, we have, you know, the uh, international best on best that hockey has been lacking the last little while. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things contribute to that. And then you also have this thing with the NHL where what is the most marketable aspect of the NHL? I would argue it's how incredible playoff hockey is. Yeah. Anything can happen. The games are so fast and so exciting. If it gets to overtime, there is nothing as adrenaline fueled in sports as sudden death NHL playoff overtime, I would argue. Yeah, it was John Bois on Twitter who called it, what is it, like uh, jumping out of a helicopter on a motorcycle after doing cocaine? Now, what that also (laughs) does, though, is it can implicitly create this impression that the regular season is not the same. Yeah, and it's not on the same level. It feels and that way. It does kind of feel that way. But it feels and that way in the NBA, though, too, right? It does, except look at what the NBA is dealing with right now. We talked about it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Four games separating you host the playoff series to you have high lottery odds in the Western Conference. Those games matter. In the NHL right now, The whether it's because of the scoring system with, with the extra point or just the way the season's worked out, it's hard to find a sweet spot where these games the next couple months matter for more than like seven or 18. Yeah. There's a, there's a bunch of teams where they're like super, super important. And, and in and Alberta, then a bunch who are tanking and a bunch who are so far <laughs> ahead, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And the Leafs have been in this, this situation. And the NBA didn't year design, year. the NBA didn't design this. It's, it's an anomaly year that yeah. it's going to be so every game is going to be so important in the Western conference. The rest of the way, like you and I were texting during those Lakers and Clippers games last yeah. night. Like those were, those are very important games already where maybe, yeah, all 82 are created equal. But if the Lakers look back and they had let that one fall through their fingers uh, against the Knicks, where, you know, they got a gift of Julius Randle, not even getting a shot off at the end of regulation with six seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look back and you lose that one, you're, you're kicking yourself. So, I don't know. Maybe the NHL finds its way there over the course of this next month. A couple of those fringy teams load up at, at the deadline the way the Islanders have. Um, but, yeah, it's hard to – it's a tough spot when two teams that are at least on one side of this, rivals, mm-hmm. and they're at the top of the best division in the sport, and the game doesn't really feel like it matters very much. Um, yeah, I have some uh, some other Leaf nuggets. and. Mm-hmm. Many of them came from uh, Justin Bourne's uh, spectacular uh, piece on Sportsnet.ca. Nugget away. Give me uh, a whole six pack here. I'm gonna save it though because why? Well, I, there's a. I, I want to hit on one other thing in this opening oh. block here. Come on, like we gotta we gotta do something other than Leafs here um, because that was today's top story. Um, and let's say Brady as well. 
because uh, we'll have plenty to say on Tom Brady uh, officially officializing his retirement. Let's talk about the the local man who used his leverage. Uh, John Herdman is going to be the head coach of the Canadian men's national team through the 2026 World Cup cycle when that was thrown into severe doubt, like overnight. Uh, so late yesterday, I guess, New Zealand time, but around midnight, um, there was a story that came out of New Zealand that he had an agreement with the New Zealand national team, which is called the All Whites, which I was it's not a, aware of. It's an unfortunate name. <laughs> yeah, right? it's a rough one. Um that he was going to be the, their next head coach. And there's an obvious connection there. His son was born there. His son has played on the, the developmental the team. the women's national team before he came over to the of, Canadian of women's course. national team. That's where he cut his teeth. You know, he started with the, the under-20 women's national team and then made it to the senior women's national team and then came to Canada, obviously. So, yeah, like you could – it's not like, oh, well, that's, that's an outrageous – Thing for John Herdman to go from the 53rd ranked FIFA nation that just made a World Cup to the whatever 110th, but yeah, you could see it making a little bit of sense, especially if the if the money was right. And then today we get a statement from John himself, who uh, said, "Success at this level will always invite opportunity." I've received several offers in recent months, all of which I've turned down, including an offer from New Zealand football to our Canadian players and fans. I want to reiterate my commitment to Canada soccer and the growing of this program. At the uh, World Cup in Qatar, our men showed the world that they belong at that level. I'm not going anywhere. We still have a job to do, and that objective is to take this team to the next level in 2026. So we don't know necessarily how this played out, but I have a guess, Blake, that the guy who led the national team to its greatest success in almost 40 years um, had some leverage. He used it despite the fact that he might have had a contract that ran through 2026, I'm sure there was legally some way for him to either break that or bring something to the table that allowed more money to end up in John Herdman's pockets. And why not, if you, if you have the ability to do that, n- not faulting him at all, I, I do think in playing out what could have happened here that Canada soccer saved itself a massive nightmare of a news story and some real hand-wringing from people who understand the recent history of Canada soccer. This is the, it would have been probably the toughest scenario for Canada soccer because what could you have understood? If John Herdman was not the manager of this club for the next World Cup cycle, what would have helped people understand it? Well, one would be if it was an English club or at least a European club offer that took him because... That is a, a different challenge and a different world than coaching a national team. Um, this was never seemed likely, but if a more established or bigger soccer program came and wanted him to manage the national program, sure. Going to a smaller soccer market, I, I, I'm not intimately familiar with how New Zealand treats their soccer, but I would have to imagine Canada soccer would think they're like, it's like behind, New Zealand was not in the World Cup. Yeah, I would, well, and New Zealand lost to Costa Rica, I think, in the Intercontinental Playoff to get into the World Cup. But yeah, I, I, the rugby is the number one sport in New Zealand. Yeah, you're I mean, you're not getting top billing. The All Whites name came about as like a quip yeah. based on the All Blacks. <laughs> right. It's like, hey, they're wearing All White. We'll call them the All Whites, mate. Yeah. I guess mate is Australian. But uh, no, they say it in New Zealand too. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to channel my Stephen Adams interviews. Okay. Uh, yeah, flight of the Concords. Yeah. yeah, no, it seems like a nice place. They have more uh, sheep, I think, than human beings uh, in New Zealand. No, it's a it's an obvious step down from a perception standpoint and from a, 
you know, I, I imagine power of the Federation standpoint. Yes. Now, here's here's the actual answer to this, though, is um, the New Zealand has uh, a prospect in the NBA draft this year who could be a first-round pick. Uh, Sportsnet's got to send me there, and then we'll get all the answers about New Zealand. I'll just spend like a month there. That sounds great. Why yeah. don't we just do the show from there? I'll, yeah. I'll come uh, with you. No, so that would have been, in seriousness, that would have been the worst-case scenario for Canada soccer because it would have looked like John Herdman, even if that's a really good challenge and he has ties to New Zealand, the soccer world, and certainly here in Canada, would have looked at that as a step down in, at, if not stature, where that program is on the development curve. John Herdman, this, it would have been the equivalent of John Herdman joining the Canadian men's program. When he did. So that would have been a, a terrible look for Canada soccer. And it would have very much looked like it was money based. Yeah. No, that's the thing. Like you would have understood it. Because listen, I, I got all the time in the world for John Hurtman. I think he's done an incredible job. I think he deserves lots of credit. Despite the fact that, you know, he doesn't play. And they, they do have a, some all world players that have been a, a part of the national team. Which is probably mostly responsible for their recent successes. But yeah, they had those players before, and no John Herdman. You add John Herdman into the mix, he's obviously responsible. He's also not the greatest soccer coach in the history of the world, right? Like, there's a way to move off of him and for the program not to crumble, but you'd be, you'd be feeling a little more comfortable having that conversation if, say, he left for the England national team job, right? Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to the Kiwis. Yeah, you can argue on prestige. You could argue the new challenge thing if he had went to a, the club side. But no, you can't have him go to another national program that is lateral or even yeah, lower than down. you. It would have been a disaster optically unless, and this is, no one has said this, this absolutely would have been like typical Boston media kicking an athlete on the way out. Well, maybe we wanted a different direction for mm. the program to take the next step. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah well, right. So I mean, this is good, and good on John Herdman for using the leverage point. That's, yeah. uh, that's why contracts and free agency exist. Yeah, uh, we'll talk to James Sherman after 6 o'clock a little bit more about it, but I do think, last thing on it, is that I expected him to be a real hot commodity at the World Cup. I thought he would be a huge star there, that the English media would pick, it, uh, pick up on him and he would get a lot of buzz, and, and maybe that would be his final moment with the Canadian national team. I, I'm Not performance, because, man, they look great against Belgium, and then they took a lead against Croatia, but the way he handled the Croatia stuff and ending up on the front page of that Croatian newspaper, I, I do think that that played a, a part in his appeal in the in the sport at large, and maybe it was just like the New Zealands of the world that that were throwing offers at. Him. He said he had multiple offers, so maybe it was like I don't know. Also Fiji, but yeah, I, I don't I, I, Fiji. Right. I don't I don't think he had maybe the opportunities coming out of that World Cup that maybe he would have thought. But seems like he he played it the right way. When well, we he, he should join us on the program tomorrow and <laughs> fill us in on everything. We have a call out. Um. So yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh, when we come back. No, though, sorry. I have one tiny thing before we take okay, a break. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I know that we have Adnan on the other side. But um, Arian Foster uh, was on a show today uh, yeah. and said the NFL is literally rigged and that they get scripts yeah, for the he, season. He was joking. He was on Macrodosing podcast. The quote retweets from NFL players is like... I don't mean to be looking at Twitter during the show, but there are some remarkably uh, funny quote retweets from players. Do you have um, one? 
I mean, there are just a bunch. Most of them are like gifts or video clips oh, okay. of like, oh, when I got my script or whatever. It's like it's all bum players <laughs> being like, oh, when I got my script, I. Yeah, you yeah. can you can fill it in from there. But you have to be careful with the Arian Foster thing because there are some ex NFL players who like say stuff like this and what, wilder in, stuff than that. Yeah, in earnest. Yeah, this was not. There were some people that picked it up, uh, assuming that it was in in. In earnest, it was not clearly, and um, yeah. But like now, the clip is going around, and all the discussion about it is like very funny. It's it's amusing. So good on Arian Foster for giving us a little uh, a little content for the break. Well, if the NFL is scripted, then Adnan Verk is maybe involved in the scripting process because his team is back in a Super Bowl for the second time in a decade. Um, his Eagles going to play the Chiefs in a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll talk to Adnan next. NHL Network, MLB Network, and the Cinephile Podcast as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Adnan Verk, NHL Network, MLB Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. Happy Wednesday, Adnan. Happy Wednesday, Ben. Like, what song is that? It's a pretty good jam. Uh, sounds like The Strokes. Is it not The Strokes? I love The Strokes. Good kid. No time to explain, I'm I'm told. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it sounded good to me as well. I like it. Strokes, I love. Strokes actually big uh, baseball fans. I remember, right? like, a, yeah, I remember a year ago, you, know, you get the schedule sent out, guests and stuff, and I see Julian Casablancas, and I go, that's the lead singer of The Strokes. I go, yeah, he's a huge Mets fan. He's a big Harold Reynolds fan. We got him on the show. Like, this is great. So That's great. Like, yeah. Now, is, is he a real, like, like hardo baseball fan? Like, could you ask him a baseball question, and he would be able to answer it? Or it was, like, surface-level stuff? Like, what, like, where was he in his, his baseball fandom? Terrific follow-up, because you know, as a savvy mm-hmm. veteran, and oftentimes you hear, oh, he's a big Cardinals fan, and you ask yeah. him, and they uh. have another thing. J- John Hammond, as an example, went to my ass, everyone goes, oh, huge Cardinals fan, and this is maybe 2018, and like he brought up Chris Carpenter, and I'm like, I, I don't think Chris Carpenter's on the Cardinals anymore. <laughs> like, that, that was one. Now, he's a huge Blues game. Uh, Ham definitely follows the Blues avidly. I remember talking to Kevin James about the match, and he knew he was like dropping J.J. Putts. Again, that was like my score days, like 2008. So he, the fact he dropped a Mets reliever, I was impressed. But yeah, got some blankets was legit. Like he, uh, I think we asked him the whole Carlos Correa situation right now. He'd have a pretty hot take. There you go. Uh, and that this was a big part of Jays Talk Plus last summer was every time the Jays played an opponent, I was looking for people in the music industry who are fans of those <laughs> teams so I could have a conversation that was uh, music instead of baseball, basically. Um, speaking of good kid, by the way, good pull by Andrew Hall and behind the glass. Uh, but they are a Toronto band, Adnan, obviously very influenced by the Strokes and bands like Block Party. Um, also big fans of Pup. Mm. So we'll uh, we'll see. Maybe there's a, a connection there in the future in some way. Uh, Adnan, though, uh, I know that we could talk about baseball and celebs and music and stuff like that. But I got to imagine after last weekend, your mind is pretty firmly on your Philadelphia Eagles. Go birds. How you feeling? <laughs> well, you guys know what it's like when you're an avid fan. Fan is short for fanatic. And it's literally on your mind at all times. You know, I take the kids to school. 
I go get groceries. All I can think of us imagine if we win another Super Bowl. And, and I've been totally confident the entire way. Against the Giants, I said, no issue whatsoever. I was probably a, a little nervous going into the finale against the Giants, even though the Giants weren't playing any of their guys. But I just said, God, the fact that you can go from a one seed to a five seed, that's the only time I've shown any trepidation this season. They lost the Cowboys the second time. I said, no big deal. We're going to lean on them. You lose the Saints, no big deal. That was the only time I go, hey, we can't lose this game. You're like, let's, let's not be a five seed here. So once they won that game, I go, no, this team is ready to go. And the bye was critical because Hurts have been banged up and Lane Johnson has been banged up. And now they're back. We're good to go. So against the Giants, I was fully confident, as you guys know, watching in the Bell Center. And then this past week, and I, again, I was fully confident. I talked to, how's this for a name drop? Aaron Boone. I texted Booney, and I said 27-17. And he wrote back 23-14. And then he called me, and he goes, I'm going to the game. I go, you son of a... <laughs> and he, he had tickets like, on the 20-yard line. He took his, two of his kids, uh, two of his sons, sorry, his daughter as well. And he goes, this is unreal. Because I had to work my connections. I said, what connections? Sirianni is a Yankee fan. I go, of course, great. I wish I was on a first-name basis with Sirianni. And he, just, he was a big cinephile fan. Get me tickets. But... <laughs> I talked to Booney after, and he said it was unbelievable, because you don't understand. And it, it goes back to confidence. He was, everyone there thought we'd win. And that's not a trait, as you guys know, you associate with Philadelphia sports fans. Normally, it's anger and crazy and doom and gloom and pessimism. Rarely does everyone go, no, no, we're going to win. Like, we're the better team. And, and Booney said to me, because in 40 years of being a fan, and I would say in 33 years of being a fan, I've never seen a team this balanced. I thought the 4 Eagles were pretty great. Once we got Terrell Owens, McNabb and company went to a different level. But I think particularly the offensive line and defensive line, that really is where football games are won. And my old buddy Michael Lombardi on our podcast, Jim Shuffle, I was listening to him the other day. He said the Eagles, and credit to Howie Rosen, built strength upon strength. Like, they got five offensive linemen, and three of those guys are pro bowlers. You don't just say we've got Kelsey, we're fine. No, no, let's also get Landon Dickerson. Let's also get Lane Johnson. I doesn't give up a sack in like two years. Defensive line's a good example. When you already look at the defensive line, you go, all right, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, Josh Sweat. Good. Very good. No, 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 but let's just go ahead and get Robert Quinn. Like, let's just go ahead and get Indominus Sue. Like, maybe those guys can do something here and there and make a couple of plays. And then Hassan Reddick's been unbelievable. And to all the 49ers fans, and there's been quite a few chirping, oh, congrats on beating a fourth-string quarterback, I would quickly point out, George Kittle's supposed to walk on water as one of the great tight ends ever. How about blocking a guy? Because if you go back, you let Hassan Reddick, who's the best pass-rushing linebacker in football, get free, and he ended Purdy's night, and that was it. Like, obviously, he came back, but he was very, very limited. So... Uh, listen, th- is that a break that Purdy didn't play? Yeah. Do I think Philly's still won? Yeah. And now looking at this Chiefs game, I think Philadelphia's the better team. And I was curious as you guys see the line, and I go, Eagles minus one and a half is what I initially saw. I'm not sure what it is now, but I'm like, yeah, Philly really is the better team. So I feel uh, I confident. And here's the thing I really think is interesting. Twice in five years, and yet it's different personnel. Like there's obviously holdovers like Graham and Fletcher Cox, but the fact that it's a different quarterback and a different head coach doesn't normally happen to get to a Super Bowl again. So got to ask you this, Adnan. I do want to talk more about the how you how they kind of rebuilt things in a in a five year window with the key pieces changing over. Um, but you mentioned that you know you don't have the, you didn't have the connections to go to that game. Maybe the Super Bowl is a little tough. But Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney said that they plan to if they win blow the doors off with the parade. Uh, he's on his way out. He'll spend whatever. Um, could you make the two hour drive down for an Eagles parade if it gets to that? Again, excellent question, Blake. So a month ago, I took the weekend off just in case. I said, maybe I'll go to the Super Bowl. Although I looked at the price of tickets, I saw the minimum on Pick Pick, which is the equivalent of StubHub, but minus the fees. I see the cheapest seat of $5,000. A quick math says $250 night hotel, $500 flight, $6,000, and they might lose. I said, listen, I make a good living. We're not going to do that. I got four kids. I cannot go home to my wife and kids and go, I just spent $6,000 my team lost. Having said that, 
Then I spoke to my agent. He goes, well, I got some connections. He goes, I could probably get it to you for face value. I said, what's face value? He said, 1500 I go, okay, well, I guess that is reasonable. Now we're looking at $2,500. But, Blake, I don't know if you have kids. Ben, you have two young kids. There was something so special when the Eagles won previously. I got to watch it with my son, Yusuf, who was nine yeah. years old at the time and went nuts. Now he's 14. He's an Eagles fan. He's a little, a little too cool for school. Wasn't cheering much on Sunday. He was watching. But my six-year-old son, Shaz, is over the moon. So I said, I've got to watch it with Shaz. Now, here's the question to both of you. He's six. My goal is I want to go to Philadelphia and watch the Super Bowl in a sports park. I want him to see all Eagles fans around us wearing jerseys, et cetera. My wife thinks it's an atrocious idea. She goes, everyone's going to be drunk. They're going to be screaming profanities. You're not going to get a seat. He's six. He's going to get tired. Your thoughts, because I'm not just going to sit at home. I did that last time. I want to be in Philadelphia. I want to be in the city where my team could win. No, I'm in favor of it entirely. Now, I, I, I almost wouldn't be in favor of you bringing, like, say this was the, the NFC Championship game and you were talking about bringing him to Philly to, to go watch. Like, I almost wouldn't be in favor of that because you do have – you have visiting fans, you have Niner fans, and then you have like the, 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 the Eagles fans in their element where you see the worst of yeah. humanity. But I think a controlled <laughs> environment where you have like just Eagles fans all celebrate, like I, I guess things could go really off the rails if, if, if they really go down big early or, or there's some horrible call or whatever. But nah, man, I, I, I guess it also depends on the kid. Like my seven-year-old uh, was very much able to, to withstand like being at a Blue Jays game for three and a half hours at, at six years old. I, my youngest, my four-year-old, like, I don't know if he'll ever get there. Like, I don't know if he's ever <laughs> going to attend a live sporting event and not ask, like, in the, the second inning or, like, the first period, hey, uh, so can we go home now? So yeah, it is child-dependent, but I, th- I almost think that the, the, the bar scene is <laughs> – maybe this makes me sound like a bad parent. The bar scene is a perfect place to take your six-year-old. What? You're right about the controlled environment. And by the way, my 11-year-old is like your four-year-old. He will never like sports. I mean, there's, I, went, I think I'm going to a Jays game. I remember I got him like a hot dog, ice cream, top of the second. Can we go now? Like, come yeah. on, buddy, come on. Like, we gotta, like, what are we doing here? So you're right. Not every kid is born equal. Some of them just are never going to like sports in that life. But all right, bar, controlled environment. Here's the other thing, too. Maybe I don't go South Philly, right? Not the yeah. hard, That's like... You know, maybe I find like classy a, joint, like a, a Buffalo Wild Wings in like Cherry Hill, New Jersey, like you know, suburban Philadelphia kind of thing. Maybe that's the better play. Well, and then also uh, you'll be able to hear maybe Tom Brady on on the Super Bowl broadcast. Who I <laughs> I, I, I don't know, like there haven't been officialized plans, but I would figure if you're Fox, you're paying him what like thirty seven million dollars a year for the next ten years that. You have a chance to use him in the Super Bowl um, mere days after he announces his officially officialized retirement. You got to use him, right? I would think. And I don't think he's calling the game, but he's got to be a five minute interview somewhere in there. Like, come on, you're right. $37 million. Tom, we're going to get you at 557. You're our last segment uh, before five minutes. We're going to break, come back, anthems, introductions, and away we go. Like, how is he saying no to that? It'll be a surprise. Big unveiling. Hey, we, by the way, real shot at Greg Olson is calling the game. Greg, yeah. we love you. Let's go ahead to next year. Tom Brady will be calling the Super Bowl for us, and Tom joins us now. It's amazing. You know, sometimes when a guy retires, you go, okay, is he really retiring? Like in boxing, that's always the issue. But this time, I like the fact that Brady said, I'll get right to the point. Like, we're, we're not going to do this again like last year. A couple of things. One, I'm like, was it worth it? Like, <laughs> again, I don't want to. I don't want to like go deep in the guy's marriage. But like, everything we've heard is, Giselle was like, you're done, right? He's like, yep. He steps away. And then once he went back, that was like a real issue. And she was like, well, then I'm out of here. He's like, oh, you know, I'm playing. So you caught your marriage over like an eight and nine season. Listen to the Cowboys. It's terrible. Now again, there's no way it's just that. But that's really being simplistic. I'm sure they had other issues. Who knows? Maybe they get back together now. 
But that was my first thought. I'm like, he's going he's gonna to play another season because he has to at least validate the fact that, you know, his personal life went awry because he wanted to play football still. And he has no shortage of suitors with the 49ers and the Raiders everyone's spoken about. And he's still good. Now, that Cowboys game, he looked terrible. I think we can all agree. Like, he Oof. looks like a 45-year-old man. But he still threw for a ton of yards this year. Didn't have a strong supporting cast. But, yeah, I'm with you, Ben. I think the Fox should probably use him at some point. I'm curious how he used in the booth. He's super competitive. So I'm sure he's the guy that will put in the time and be invested. I don't know if he's going to be uh, a lightning rod the way Romo was. He was, you know, overly enthusiastic. Never seemed to like him right away. I'm, I'm not sure. I think that's Tom's M.O. But it is amazing. You look at his career. I was just watching uh, Mike Francesa, of course, New York radio legend, along with Mad Dog and Stephen A. Smith on first take on ESPN. And he said the greatest regular season quarterback ever is Peyton Manning. Because if you watch Peyton Manning, his numbers were insane, right? All the audibles and the rest of it. And on the playoffs, he was subpar. And the greatest postseason quarterback, he said, is Joe Montana. Joe Montana in the Super Bowl had a 127.8 rating. Brady's in the 90s. Now, it's not just the spare time Brady. He's still the best ever because he won more games than anybody, played longer than anybody, and had seven Super Bowls. But I, I do think it's at least worthy of conversation when three of us will say, hey, Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback ever, probably the greatest football player ever. Yeah, but there was other guys in this era who were really special. And again, if you had one game to win, I'm not totally convinced I would take Brady. Montana was 4-0 in the Super Bowl. That guy was absolute nails. There's a reason why they called him Joe Cool. I guess. I, I, nah. I'm taking <laughs> Tom Brady. This feels like the, um, I know, and, and this it's way closer to Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, but it does feel like kind of like along that line, right, where it's like, hey, we're kind of getting bored of the, the Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in, in the NFL and five straight AFC championship games. And look at this guy who's beaten him three straight times and just recently beat him in an AFC championship game, needed overtime, and Patrick Mahomes, you know, had a horrible second half in that game. And, and he doesn't have a Super Bowl yet, but maybe this is the guy. It feels like you're kind of, you just want, you know, that there to be a talking point around Tom Brady and the greatest of all time. Well, there isn't, Adnan. He's the greatest of all time. He was 9-0 and in his first nine postseason games with three Super Bowls, right? And, okay, yeah, he wasn't perfect like Montana. He had a few more opportunities than Montana and then went to a new team and then immediately won a Super Bowl. And then after that, didn't win a Super Bowl, but finished second in MVP voting and then almost orchestrated one of the best postseason comebacks ever against the eventual Super Bowl champs. And, of course, he owns the greatest ever comeback in a postseason game ever. So, yeah, nah, Joe Montana, fine. He's no Tom Brady. What about the tuck rule? Come on, give me that. Come on, <laughs> yeah, We got Amy Trask coming on later on who, yeah, we're going to have to talk about the tuck rule. No, it's, it's amazing, like sliding doors. His first ever postseason game, he takes advantage of a rule that was changed. Uh, he didn't deserve to win. And what happens if he loses that game? Like, maybe the, the whole thing doesn't play out the same way, right? Yeah, it is crazy. But I will say, it's funny how when a guy's in his prime, you either love him or hate him. Of course, I hated him because I hated the Patriots. Lived in New England was even worse. All these obnoxious Patriots fans. But I do think when the guy gets older, you do kind of root for him. And like this past year, again, the Buccaneers weren't a threat to the Eagles, so I had no issue with it. And they were playing the Cowboys, which I really wanted them to win. But you do get a sense when watching him, like, we are never going to see this again. Like, that, I think, is the best overarching point. Like, there have been other great quarterbacks. There will be others, like Mahomes and Burrow. There's never going to be another Tom Brady, especially when you look at the fact, you know, unlike Burrow, who had a great college career, and Mahomes did. Again, big 12 guy, you know, just threw up a ton of yards and all of a sudden went to this different level in the NFL. But, like, Brady really was a long shot to make it. Like, it, it's kind of remarkable. Look at his career trajectory. Like, I don't know if this guy's going to play. Six-round pick, Michigan, Drew Bledsoe, blah, blah, blah. And ends up being the greatest. It, it is pretty insane when you look at his work ethic, his competitiveness. Stuff like that really should be admired. It should be. It's a, it's a pretty incredible story, and it's why every time there's a Brock Purdy or something like that, uh, we hear that conversation uh, come up. Now, 
I, I want to I want to close out and keep it on football here, Adnan. I know we got to let you go in a minute. Um, the Sean Payton Broncos situation, it did feel a little bit like that was the final sticking point for Brady and that we had heard that, hey, if he could link up with Payton in a, a Florida-based situation, maybe that was the last thing that was attractive to him. Um, do you see that as as connected as all at all that the the Peyton thing happens, and then shortly after that, the the Brady thing, uh, the Brady retirement gets locked in? Yeah, I can see some symmetry to that. I mean, more than anything, Blake, I'm just thrilled he's not coaching the Cowboys. I thought that was <laughs> no brainer. Jerry Jones is tight with him. They get rid of McCarthy. I'm like, oh my god! Like Sean Payton is empirically a great coach. I'm like, what? Look what they traded to New Orleans to get him. Like, who cares? I'll give you a first couple seconds, whatever you want. We're gonna get Sean Payton, and now it's gonna be fascinating seeing him in Denver, who had just a putrid offense. Russell Wilson could have been worse as far as trying to, uh, you know, acclimatize to his new team and, and make a positive impact. So, if anybody can turn around, it's Payton, and I think that's why he probably liked the challenge of saying these guys had a more abundant offense. It's not like he's taking over a team that has a good offense and a bad defense. And he's supposed to be this defensive. Model. He's an offensive guy. Everyone knows that. So let me go take, it's like renovating a house. Rather than taking a house that's kind of not, not great, and I'll just improve it. No, no, I want one that's a disaster. Mm-hmm. And I'm really going to clean this thing up. So he's an offensive mastermind. Denver couldn't have been worse. You're going to see vast improvement. That's the challenge I'm going to take. I thought he might wait another year. Like, there's always other jobs that pop up. And, you know, he kind of wants to survey the land. But Denver's a good job. I mean, they, they love their football there. He does have a quarterback, Russell Wilson, who has been a perennial pro bowler prior to the season. Mm. And, and I think he'll have the support of personnel and, and of certainly ownership for at least however many years his contract is. So uh, I think ultimately it's a good decision for Sean. It's a great decision for the Broncos. And, yeah, the Brady thing probably had a bit of a part of it. But ultimately it kind of just felt like Tom was ready to go. Because, again, San Francisco and Oakland both made a lot of sense. Stay in warm mm-hmm. weather, another new challenge. But eventually you're 45 and you start to feel it. And it makes me think of Jeter. When he retired, he said, you know, in the game I was an old man. But now I feel like I'm a young man. And, like, you know, people in their 20s will laugh, but, like, a 40-year-old man is still a young guy. So, for Tom, 45, he's still got a lot of time ahead of him. And as Ben mentioned, a lot of money coming to him, if indeed, when he goes to Fox. Yeah, we'll we'll see how he does in the broadcasting game. Um, My my expectations are low. Um, My expectations are always high for you, Adnan. You always (laughs) exceed them. Well done. Thanks, buddy. Uh, Thanks so much, Ben, Blake. Take care. See you, buddy. Uh, Adnan Virk, NHL Network, MLB Network, and the Cinephile podcast i okay take the personal life stuff out of it because like adnan said we can only speculate we can only go on what's been written about the giselle you know divorce and and how impactful returning to football was in that proceeding maybe he decided to come back to football because he knew his marriage was falling apart who who knows but like let's take that part out of it i don't at all blame tom brady for playing this past season okay maybe i blame him for the full retirement, and then 40 days later coming back. But who cares? Like, it's been done before, okay? Tom Brady finished second in MVP voting, like I said, last season, like two seasons ago. He almost came back against the Rams, who won the Super Bowl. He was good. And even this past season, while, I mean, our pal Ross Tucker says it was, like, embarrassing and he wished he wasn't playing and what a horrible way to go out, made the playoffs in a horrible division. I understand that. It's a couple of regular season moments in there. He had to come back against the Rams, who were horrible. But yeah, he had last second touchdown against the Rams, last second uh, scoring drive against the Saints. There were moments in there. It wasn't totally embarrassing. And I, man, if you finish second in MVP voting and you just won a Super Bowl and like you could have squinted and saw yourself winning a Super Bowl, the pre- I don't at all blame him for thinking that he could have done it again this year. Sure. It's 
he's not that far removed from it. And even if the efficiency or the effectiveness wasn't there this year, by volume, he was still there. So I would imagine physically he felt he could keep it up. Football outsiders also said like that their numbers um, said he had a better season. He was better at at, uh, eliminating negative plays, like no big plays, but really good at not having negative plays. So I only like their stats when they support what I'm already saying. Um, (laughs) We don't need to use them. If if DVOA says good things about the the Jaguars, then we like we like them. If uh, yeah, if it's saying Tom Brady was better this year than the year prior, then uh, their stats are junk. (laughs) This is how it works. No, it's. Like, he's a safe pair of hands. It's why people thought, oh, 49ers, like that system is designed for a guy who maybe doesn't have the big, long, down-the-field arm anymore, but can do everything you need to in terms of not taking anything off the table and making all the safe and quick throws. Um, there's a reason for that, and there's a reason why until day 41, people are going to wonder if he's firmly retired or not. No, it's great point uh speaking of putting things on the table james Sharman will put a Sharman's proper pie on your table he joins us next really no oh you have to pay uh fan drive time continues